If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent in the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals achievements. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive with the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle. I'm your host, Adam Bradley, alongside TJ Rosine, broadcasting here in Atlanta, Georgia. We've got a fun NBA shoot-around episode for you with four quarters and four hot topics. Before we do, let's catch up with our friends over at Shot Tracker. Hey, what gets measured gets done. Shot Trackers just continues to revolutionize the game, just like they did at the Hoop Hall fame up there where they were running the best high school teams in the country. Uh, enjoyed watching that. Uh, if you, What gets measured gets done. What are you measuring in your practice? What's getting done? What are you measuring in your games? What's getting done? Uh, for good ideas and thoughts, go check out our friends over at Shot Tracker to narrow down what you need to be measuring. Listen, I'm going to save our fun Hawks-Wizards topic for the fourth quarter, oh, all right? yeah. but I've got a good yes. one here. Let's start first. I'd like to make a case for the Brooklyn Nets staff being coach of the year. Okay, I know it's just a single coach that wins it, but like that overall staff and what they're doing up in Brooklyn, obviously I'm a little biased because of my relationship and friendship with their assistant coach, Adam Harrington. But at the time of this recording, TJ, the Brooklyn Nets are 20-5 and five in the last 25. The best record in the last 25 games. You look at the fact that they've had arguably their, their best player, at least early in the season, Karis LeVert. He goes down, potentially out for the season. They've been without Alan Crabb. They've been without Rondé Hollis-Jefferson for most of the, the year. Some of you would listen to that and say, I don't even really know who those guys are. And that kind of speaks to the point here. You look up and down their roster – and it is filled with individuals that most experts will look at a roster like the Brooklyn Nets and say they are destined to finish at the bottom. Okay. In fact, I went up to a Brooklyn game in December and spent a weekend with the Nets. And I had a friend with me as we were driving up. He's not a huge basketball fan, just kind of a middle-of-the-road basketball fan. And he asked me the question, he's like, do I know anyone on the Nets? So he pulled up the roster and he's looking and... The only person he even knew, he knew D'Angelo Russell, he knew that name, and he knew Kenny Freed, who now is in Houston and was in, even in rotation with the Nets. They've arguably taken a bunch of individuals that many teams have casted off as just kind of whatevers and have ran in the last 25 the best record in the, the league. They're up to almost in the fifth spot. They're currently in the sixth spot in the East. Unbelievable job. And if you grade coaching on getting the most out of your players, I don't know if there's any team that has gotten the most out of the players that they have than the Brooklyn Nets. You look at guys like Joe Harris, right? You look at guys like Spencer Dinwiddie. You look at what D'Angelo Russell. These guys are all overachieving, right? Their big guy down low, the fro, Right, blocking every superstar in the league, dominating the paint. You look at guys like this, they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, but the Nets have them. I'm voting them at this moment, coaching staff, coach of the year. Yeah, hard to argue. I mean, I just pulled up their roster as you were talking about that because I know they've been doing better and have fallen a little bit, but um, 
that uh, is super impressive with that roster, and uh, especially the guy leading them in scoring was you know is surprising to me. But uh, uh, if you take the the Brooklyn Nets and the despair they've been in for the last several years, uh, prior. Yeah. As a result of prior management, right? No yeah. draft picks for yeah. the last three years, no money yeah. for the last three years, and that's what you're getting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's, that's hard to argue. I mean, I think um, I don't think the East is great. You know, I think there's a couple good teams in there, um, but nonetheless, you know, the competition you're playing against, they're NBA, they're pros, and they've got all stars on their teams. And I wouldn't say Brooklyn does. And to be in the place that they're at, there's probably not a more impressive resume in the league right now. Hey, shout out to Adam Harrington. Shout out to the Brooklyn Nets. Keep rolling, fellas. And first off, I going up to Brooklyn and watching the game at the Barclays a few uh, weeks ago. Love the vibe up there. Right, that Brooklyn has a cool vibe. It will. I, I believe Brooklyn could be a destination for free agents moving forward. Really? I feel like they've got that New York feel, but they've got a little edginess. Like they play a lot of biggie, right? Brooklyn, baby. You know, they've got this edge. It's got a great spot. A little less pressure than the Madison Square Garden Knicks style, but you still get the New York appeal. Great facilities, incredible staff, great culture. They could be a destination. They've got money to spend. Watch out for them. All right. Second quarter. Recently uh, made news that Kyrie Irving called LeBron James to apologize for just a variety of different things. Maybe how he acted. Apologize a little bit of kind of taking LeBron's leadership for granted to kind of express that this leadership stuff is hard. Leading a team is not that easy. And really just express a form of humility and showed LeBron that he really did appreciate everything that LeBron did. Now that Kyrie's in the situation where he's being asked to lead a team and he is proving that it's a challenge. It's not easy. What do you think? Impressed with that? Um, I have not been a huge Kyrie fan. and I mean, even the latest reports say Kyrie wants to reunite with him in mm-hmm, L.A. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe there was a strat. Maybe there was some ulterior motive of the call, right? Like, let me humble myself and just apologize because this leadership stuff hard, but also to like maybe rekindle. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems it seems really interesting, but I it, that he would he would make that call, and now you hear this, and they're talking about AD to LA, talking about Kyrie to LA. Um, Kyrie's it, coming out in the movie that he's starring in. Who is Kyrie? It really? Yeah. So maybe he's turning Hollywood. Yeah, I I, I think that. Um, Man, I, I, I'm not. A, I'm just not a real big believer in Kyrie. I, I'm gonna throw the question back to you. I said this: of all the guys in the NBA, like if um, that could go number one and put a second star to him, and they could win. The, they could win. They could win it. You know, a second star to him. Um, not a third star, but a second star. Like, who do you put on that list? Like, because people sing Kyrie's praises. I think Kyrie plus one cannot win an NBA championship. Um, so I'm almost, he's almost on my list of like, I don't know that he's making the Celtics better. Like, I would love if I could be inside of one story right now, it'd be inside the Boston Celtics. Hmm. I would love to know what's going on because it was such a happy, feel good story when they were down and there was the chips weren't there. They didn't have enough players. Now they've got the full complement. 
and um, you hear all these different things, all the different things that are going on. And, uh, you know, I think I think Kyrie is a part of that because, like you said, he is kind of the leader of that team. He is kind of the guy. And, and when, it, when, those, when it falls to you, it's not getting done. Um, when he took second fiddle to, you know, to LeBron, LeBron was able to take that. He's okay. Maybe he humbled himself and said, you know what, I'm a second fiddle guy. I think Kyrie Irving is the perfect second fiddle guy in the NBA. I, I don't believe in him as a number one. I think the number ones, those special guys that are going to lead teams to to championships, it requires a very wide array of skill sets that I don't think Kyrie has. I'm not just talking about basketball-wise. I'm talking about mentally, maturity, communication-wise. Kyrie's always kind of uh, presented to me that he's a little different. Right, he's got a you know yeah. makes news a lot of times. The Earth is flat, you know all these weird things. He he seems to be a little irrational, cursing a fan out, going out of uh, uh, Boston last year. There got caught on tape. He just seems a little kind of all over the place. Doesn't seem always as mature. He always seems to be searching. They they say those who are planted will flourish. I don't think Kyrie is planted. I still think he's trying to find himself, trying yeah. to figure himself out. And I don't think you can have that as the alpha the team yeah. leader that everybody rallies around how can you rally around someone who still hasn't even figured out themselves yet yeah okay so that's I a good think assessment of him yeah i agree with you i think there's a lot of dynamics talent wise incredible talent enough to be the number one i'll put it like that tj i think the talent in a different body mind maturity could be a number one but no, when you look at all the factors i don't think Kyrie's that number one that's that's why those types of players scare me. Like my list of, I shouldn't even say like no touch in the NBA, but like <laughs> not interested in, you know, are the guys that could be that aren't. Those are the guys that I don't think. Like LeBron has become a guy that could be and is, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I think that uh, I, Steph Curry is a guy that could be and is, right? I'm not even convinced Durant is that guy. Now, but this so, could be so, unfair. This could be unfair where you're going, TJ, because arguably we could almost discount everyone until they've done it. And there's not many people that have done it because it's been such a Steph, LeBron, Golden State dynamic. Okay. Yeah, I, and this is why this is such a team game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like basketball is such a team game, and like what you do, what we do at PGC, what you do with Lead 'Em Up, like you know people that get. The culture doesn't matter and all that different kind of stuff. Like, the pH of the water matters. The <laughs> pH of the water just flat out matters. And I just think, like, when you when you throw Kyrie into the pH of any water, like, oh, man, the rest of the water better be really strong. The chlorine must be poured in properly. Like, they're just, he's just that kind of, one of those guys. And not he's not as toxic as other guys. You know, he's not like you said. It's like I don't really have anything that that makes me say I really don't like Kyrie, but he's also never in his career ever stepped up and say I'd go to battle with that guy. Like I want Kyrie. I like you know, and that that's just where I where I land with Kyrie. Now, in regards to him calling to quote unquote apology apologize, let's say it was good hearted. Let's say there was no ulterior motives. It really was just a growing and maturing move by Kyrie to look back. I think that's an incredible thing. How, but how do all of these things get out? Kevin Love actually got that out because Kevin Love was at dinner with LeBron James when Kyrie called. LeBron looks at his phone and goes, wow, this is interesting. Picks it up. Kyrie goes through his thing. Kevin Love shares in an interview that he did with some reporter not that long ago. 
So that's how it got out, okay? Because they were at dinner together in L.A. Now, but, but just the call itself, I just want to talk about that for a quick second. Very mature move, okay? Very mature move. And, and I looked at that as like, wow, maybe that is a sign of Kyrie acknowledging his shortcomings. And I think athletes should look at that and, and emulate that, TJ. Yeah, I, I love to hear hard, the call it's, it's, a little bit more. Yeah, it's hard to get – true, but from what we know, it's hard to get better when you're always suppressing your weaknesses and denying your challenges. It's really hard to get better. It's when you admit these, when you become self-aware and begin acknowledging areas of improvement – that's what this call, to some degree, felt like. I hope yeah. that it was Kyrie acknowledging, like, man, this is tough. Like, I need to get better, and and you did a great job. And looking back, you you actually were doing a lot of the right things, and I should have appreciated it more. Let's say if that's how the call went, great, mature yeah. stepping stone. Is that how it played out? We'll never know. Hey, let's take a quick halftime break. Catch up with our friends at Team Snap, then we'll jump into the final half. Thanks to our friends over at Team Snap for today's halftime communication tip. Coaches, have you noticed at the end of seasons, whether it's at the end of a loss or the end of a win of a championship, your last game of the year always tends to bring out some emotions within the players. They tend to communicate things to one another and to the coaches that they don't do all season long. They don't communicate these type of emotions, this type of affirmation and appreciation through the season as they do at the end of the season. I'd like for you to challenge your team this week and challenge yourself Communicate some things that if your season ended today, you would say to your team. Have them communicate to one another things that if the season ended today, they would communicate to one another. There's a chance that your team has an ability to grow in an incredible way if we communicate certain things through the process rather than just waiting until the end of the process. Coaches want to challenge you. Take advantage of this little secret that could help change the game. Thanks to our friends over at Team Snap. Make sure you check out teamsnap.com backslash hustle to learn more about a communication app that's helping get everyone on the same page from the coaches, parents, and players all season long. That's teamsnap.com backslash hustle. All right, TJ, third quarter here. Have you heard about the new Premier Lacrosse League? You've been so in tune with your team. I doubt you have. Have you? Have not. Let me quickly tell you about it. New lacrosse league, professional lacrosse league, um, that is going to be aired in MB- on NBC starting in June. And it is the first ever revolutionary tour-based lacrosse league that is made prime time. There's always been a professional lacrosse league. It's called Major League Lacrosse. But it was professional, like a pseudo-professional league. You know, they, they kind of disguised as professional athletes, but they all had full-time jobs. They just played on weekends, smaller venues, limited TV exposure. Lacrosse, extremely growing sport, as you know, right? One of the fastest-growing sports in the country. Premier Lacrosse League signed a deal with NBC. It is being owned and ran specifically by two former Watkins Mill guys, guys I went to high school with. You know Paul Rabel. You know that name. He's the Michael Jordan of lacrosse. Uh, He is leading it with his brother, Mike Rabel, who I was really good friends with, still am, uh, and played high school football with, grew up in the same community, been friends for a long time. They are running it. Mike's the CEO. Paul's the COO. But this league, and where I'm going with that is, this is the first ever player-owned professional league. 
the players. They've grabbed 170 of the top lacrosse players in the country to go and start taking on this 10-city revolutionary base tour model, very similar to like PBR, professional bull riding, like surfing, like NASCAR, where they're hitting the different cities and doing a professional league in that facet. The players all have equity in the company. There's no owners of teams. The players own the league. Interesting. Do you get the sense, and it's obviously a little different, but as this league and research it, it, it's huge. Like They've got the biggest investors in this league financially. Um, they are about to change the game. Lacrosse is about to explode as a result of the Premier Lacrosse League. But seeing that this model, that there's no team owners, but the players are owners, do you envision that they could actually have an impact as it continues to grow on the mindset of other major sports, specifically the NBA, where players these days and people are starting to realize more and more what they're worth, you know, the value that they give, and that there's leagues out there where the players are the owners, but yet I play on a, in a league where I'm arguably the most important and influential person in the league, but I'm not an owner in it. I don't have stake in it. Could it change the game for other sports leagues? Uh, it, it, lacrosse would have to be it have to be really successful to have any kind of impact. But I do think that uh, it is a valid point, like what you were saying earlier about um, there. I don't know if I even agree with the wording. They're starting to realize their their value in it, um, which in, in in some ways is true, in some ways it's not true. Like for instance, you know if. Anthony Davis is worth $100 million for four years, just random number, right? He's worth four years. Well, if Anthony Davis didn't play anymore, there would be another star that took that place. You know? Like, people so often forget that. And we all do it in our daily work lives. You know? Like, all of a sudden, we build up clientele, or we win games, or we, you know what I mean? And, well geez, I've been doing this, I'm worth more. Like, all of us do that. Now, whether it's your $20,000 job to your $40,000 job or your $100 million to your $200 million, or whether these baseball players are worth thinking $400 million, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's all relative, but everybody thinks they get to that point where it's worth more and deserve more. The flip side of that is, is like, if I leave Emmanuel College tomorrow, somebody's going to fill my job. You know, if Anthony Davis decides he's not playing basketball, somebody's going to fill that job. Like, but everybody sees this as their worth, and I think it's internally, it's even a battle within our own personal self, like to be thankful for our lot in life and to be whatever, but also have great ambitions to want more. You know, like I think, uh, and so when you talk about it, I think it's really cool that the players are owning the league. I think it'll be really neat to see what comes of it. Um, I think it is a uh, really cool way to st- a fresh start. I also think it is hurting the NBA right now with players wanting and demanding more and thinking they need more. You saw Anthony Davis getting fined fifty thousand dollars. Everybody just says they want to trade. And if I'm a business owner, like we're getting screwed now. You know, just to be honest with you, if anybody can demand a trade any day, and I've already given them a hundred million dollars. Like I mean, I had somebody had to put up the hundred fifty million dollars. Someone had to take a flyer on him and draft him. You know, and everybody forgets all these players they and do develop them. Yeah, and develop them. Everybody forgets these players that they draft and 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 they don't develop, and they still had to spend this money on. You know, and there's all. So I, I don't think um, if it. So let's say if it started this way in lacrosse, I like the fact that they started that way. Changing other sports, I think, is going to be bad for other sports. 
So I'm just I'm intrigued by this Premier Lacrosse League, not just because of the friendships of the owners that I have, but the fact that it's such a different beast. And it's fascinating, the concept. And in today's age of empowerment and everyone truly evaluating their true worth, I, I feel that I don't know what it could play out. And obviously the NBA is a huge beast, and lacrosse had a unique situation because there wasn't a major primetime lacrosse league already established. But, TJ, the 170 best players, now granted contractually are in a different arrangement with their other league, they left the other league in conjunction led by the star player, the LeBron James of lacrosse, leading the operation. They all got up and lifted up and moved out of the one league into their own league where they could be owners all behind the curtain, revealed in a major announcement just a few months ago. Yeah. Now think about that. Like, I don't know, and and obviously this is far down the road, but like, what if – NBA players, led by the greatest, most influential. Let's say it's a LeBron James with Nike money flowing out of his pockets, right? Hollywood stars and investors flowing out of his pocket. Somehow, contractually, was able to get out of these arrangements, went to start. And listen, we already know the players talk, right? We already know they recruit. Man, let's just go do this on our own. Let's go, let, like, let's make a impact and boom, let's take every all-star and go and plant them in another environment. Could be crazy. It would be super interesting. I would love to see it happen, um, but it would be a colossal fail. It would be a wreck. They don't have the the facilities. They don't want to spend their time doing that. Like, some, you got to be careful what you wish for. Like, all these people, they want more. Like, isn't there something to be said? Like, I just get to play basketball for this amount of money. Like, I mean, sometimes there's more joy in that. Like, is it really that much more fun to run the league and own the league so you can make fifty million more or twenty million more or? Or the opposite, run your career into the ground like that. That lot, you know what I mean? Good point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I would I would mess with something that that's already so good. That's already so good. Like I mean, every I mean, it, it, nobody's losing, nobody's getting beat up down there. You know yeah. what I mean? We're not talking about teachers getting underpaid. Like we're we're talking about everybody's winning. The players are winning. The owners are winning. The, yeah, it's like it's just one of those things. If anything ever changes, it's probably just going to change because of greed. Fair enough. Listen, before we jump into the fourth quarter, I just want to encourage everyone here. Shout out to my friends Mike Rabel, Paul Rabel. Incredible job what they're doing the Premier Lacrosse League. I encourage everyone listening right now to go check out the Premier Lacrosse League, even if you're not a lacrosse fan, for the simple fact that it has been an incredible learning tool that they are sharing because they are being very transparent behind the scenes of how they are building a prominent sports league from scratch. It's been an incredible experience to watch and learn how they're doing it and see their rollout method as they share some behind the scenes. Incredible learning tools, really intriguing stuff. And if if nothing else, the one thing they definitely have is their gear is always really (laughs) cool-looking lacrosse gear, you know? Yeah, so listen, NBC, later this summer, lacrosse, professional on primetime TV for the first time ever. All right, fourth quarter. Would you rather be in the Hawks or Wizards position as a franchise at this moment? Would you rather be in the Hawks or Wizards position at this moment? So can I, can I take the first shot at this, TJ? Absolutely. All right. I've, everyone knows I'm a huge Wizards fan, but I am absolutely saying I'd rather be in the Atlanta Hawks position than the Washington Wizards couple reasons why. Let me just explain. John Wall is about to enter in here in the next few months the worst contract in the NBA. He's about to be $40 million per cap for a year. Per year against the cap, over $40 million. 
right? He's the super max contract. We gave it to him. It's about to be disastrous, especially when you think about the fact that he's getting older as he's approaching 30 here in a few years, coming off surgeries. His game does not translate to the future, right? Because his explosiveness, his speed is all going to diminish because of age and injury, and he doesn't have a shot to fall back on. So we've got a super max player that is approaching his 30s, coming off injury as he's currently sidelined for the rest of this year, with a diminishing skill set, not possessing the skill set that does create longevity in the league, right? That's a major problem. You combine that with Ernie Grunfeld, the GM. He's been our GM, TJ, since 2003. He's the fourth longest tenured GM. Never won over 50 games. Never gotten out of the second round. Somehow still continues to operate and run this ship. He's the same guy that had JaVale McGee, Nick Young, Andre Blotch as a starting core, thinking that that team was going to do something. He gave the Gilbert Arenas contract, and he was part of all of that. Some of the colossal years have all been under Ernie's, and he's still the same person leading the ship. Combine that with Brad Beal and John Wall not loving each other. And not necessarily being their best versions with each other. You combine that with a third max contract player in Otto Porter, who doesn't seem to be getting much attention and doesn't have much value as they've tried to throw him on the trading block over the last year. And hasn't really generated much interest, okay? All of a sudden, you combine these three. Think about this, TJ. We've got three max contract players. John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter... In their prime, okay, having played together for four years, and when all were healthy this year, we were towards the bottom of the East. Three max contract players in their prime, four years together. Chemistry, camaraderie, we should be hitting our stride. We should be like, that is our peak, and we were at the worst. The best place to be in in the NBA, if you're not already winning, is to have flexibility. And we've got none. We are strapped. We'd have to ship some. Our third max contract doesn't have much interest. Our first one is too overpriced with the diminishing skill set that doesn't have much interest. The only one is our second one, Brad Beal, who has a lot of value. But that's actually the guy, if you're honest, you want to build around at this point. So you don't want to get rid of him, right? Because no major star is going to want to come with John Wall, with him being the number one. I'm sitting here looking at it. I'm like, wow. Not only are we bad, we should be in our best, but we're bad at this moment. We have no flexibility. We've got stars on diminishing skill sets, but the worst contract. Give me the Atlanta Hawks and their assets and their flexibility, and I could make something happen. You see the pain in your eyes. You can see the hurt. It's um, it's a painful truth, but I think you're absolutely right. Man, the only thing I'm disappointed in the Hawks right now is they're winning a little bit more than I'd like. <laughs> to be honest with you, like I think they're being competitive and they're, um, but, I, but I think bodes well for the future. We uh, the, the thing that's hard for me is that in Atlanta, we were the best we'd been in a long, long time, and we blew it up when we were at the top. That was really that was really painful. But as far as um, you know, the fact that we've got to start all the way back from the bottom and go to that place feels like we're two years into that process and it feels like your only option in washington is to find a way to blow it up so you can regain flexibility mm-hmm. you know and, because and, what you got right there yeah it looks like a six to eight seed in the east at best if they're playing well 
and they're dysfunctional while they do it, and you're paying them the max to do it, yeah. that doesn't seem like a good situation. You can't have it. You yeah. can't have it. And, you know, you look at the what flexibility gives you in this league. I just read recently in light of the AD, you know, requesting a trade, how the Knicks could get involved, right? The Knicks, if they wanted to, could trade Porzingis and a few other players to get AD. All right? I, I'd read this rumor, like, which would then put AD on the Knicks and give them two max contract slots in addition to Anthony Davis, where they talked about aggressively being able to go after a Clay Thompson, Kemba Walker, Kevin Durant. And then you start pitching, hey, two of you guys, maybe a Kemba and KD with Anthony Davis, are they not finals contenders? Yeah. Absolutely, right? In a five-month span, the New York Knicks, in this article, and it made perfect sense, could go, could go based on their flexibility – their assets in the financial space that they have could go from the worst team in the East to the best team in the East in five months. And that's what flexibility in this league gives you. When you've got a few assets that are rising, that have value, and financial flexibility, you could flip the script quick. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that, you, you know, the Knicks, um, the the other thing about this, the, the other big thing, the flexibility, you can flip the script really quickly. But people got to want to go there. So, like, for instance, Atlanta, we've never... You need the first domino. You you need the first first domino. domino. But, like, it it seems really hard to me. I don't know what it's like in Washington, but it doesn't seem like in Atlanta we've ever been in that conversation. I agree. We're not in that conversation in D.C. either. Yeah, and so... um, But that's where culture comes in. Yeah. It it really is, because you look at, like, the culture... Or or weather. (laughs) Or or weather, potentially, but... You, you always hear these athletes, they talk about the, just the culture of the organization, yeah. the winning culture, the professionalism. You know what I mean? Like, that plays a factor. Does it? Yeah, Paul George staying in Oklahoma, Oklahoma yeah, City. I, but, you know, like, I, that, that's where I go. Yeah, but see, I, I don't know that I do because if you talk about where they've been going, right? Like, they've been going to um, – like, Pat the, the, Riley in the heat. LA. Bob Myers and Golden State. Yes, they're going they, to, really, but they're also going the to cultures. These I wouldn't call them cultures. I feel like Pat Riley and the Heat have a pretty healthy, I feel winning like, culture I, down there. I, I feel Boston like, winning culture. Okay, so I'd also say they're going to places that are highly marketable. Like the Spurs have a great culture. Who's going there? You know, like like take tell me these other smaller market cities where they're going like they're going to uh, silicon valley out in golden state <laughs> where, where where durant can do his you know his thing they're going to la where they can become movie stars they're going to miami when it's hot you know where they like they're going you know boston because they have so much room so much money but it's still boston it's a huge city you know like it's it's still got that allure to it like that's where they're going. Like I, I'm not, I'm not saying those places don't have great cultures, but don't tell me LeBron went to LA because of the culture. It's dysfunctional out there. You know what I mean? And and if you were to go look at, um, you know, if you were to go look at um, uh, the Golden State Warriors, it's like culture, yes, but it's easier when you're winning sixty games a year but to the, like go there and you know. So I, here's the, but here's the counter to that, right? Chicago, marketable city. Attractive city, dysfunctional culture. Hold on, but no. DC, big city. No, 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 no. DMV, no, 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 no. dysfunctional. No, no. Listen, listen. Here, you would go to those. They are marketable cities, right? 
if there is a really good chance at winning and you're having success. But you would still go to Miami if it sucks. Because uh, you would still go to L.A. Lakers if it sucks. You know what I mean? Like, there's only a few places in the country those people are going no matter what. The one that's really interesting to me, like, that whole dynamic, I don't know, like, Brooklyn and New York. Like, it's been a while since somebody said, I'm going to New York and I'll be the first domino. Yeah. It's been, I mean, it's been a long time since somebody's been that first domino. Like, I, I don't know that people, I don't know that people love New York as much as people think. Like, because if, it, I mean, it's never going to be good enough. You know, they're going to be on everything that you do, right? It's cold. It's what, but you still do have the city. Like, I, I, I need New York to prove to me they're on that list, which they, you figure they would be because they're New York. But somebody's got to land there hmm. before. I mean, we hey, we just got I just got back from Toronto, and uh, I was with our buddy Tyler Costin. You know, get out! It's minus seventeen degrees. We're walking to our car. <laughs> we give a you know quick hug to each other, and the first words out of his mouth are, "There's no way Kawhi's staying." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's no it's minus seventeen. He's from L.A. It's warm out there. Like he just said, "There's no way he's staying." And I'm like, there's no way. Like, there's it, so. I think it's going to be hard for those cities to build. I think there's only a couple of them that can go. Um, Screw it. it. Screw it. Let's move all NBA franchises down south. Yeah. Right. Because we've got to create. A I mean, they've already moved college football down south. Oh, <laughs> well, fair. You know. Fair I mean, That's hey. Nice. And when's the last time? I mean, I just saw a tweet I mean, today. It says. You know, uh, well, I can't remember what the exact was. It's like uh, a snow day in in the south. Is like a national college, national championship for the for the North, you know what I mean? Like, cause it, it, we're I mean, it's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's whatever, like yeah, yeah. Georgia, yeah. And it seems to me that's what I don't really love about, um, you know, what I, what I have enjoyed. Like, I, I do enjoy watch. I think people love the Spurs because of that. You know, they root for that. I think the Milwaukee Bucks are a really interesting story. You know, this year, I think there's some of those smaller market cities are building good brand of basketball that, you know, how long can they last? Not as long as those other cities. How can they rebuild? Not as fast as those other cities. But they're really interesting stories. Well, even if no one wants to go to Atlanta, I'd rather have the Atlanta Hawks franchise than the Washington Wizards one at this moment. (laughs) Yeah, but the other flip side of that is the trust. Like, do you trust your management to, like, stay with it? Like, I'm not even, like... That's the, I don't think Atlanta's built up capital with the city that we trust that even if they did have all that, they would still be going for it. Mm, fair enough. Listen, I'm Adam. He is TJ. We appreciate you listening. A fun NBA shoot-around episode. Until next time, we're the Hardwood Hustle. We're out.